Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. going down. everybody welcome to a brand new episode of what's going down wherever you get your podcast my name is kenny and i'm joined as always by mr finley martin finn how are you today kenny i'm doing all right how's yourself i'm good i'm good i'm uh, i'm 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 you know you know some people you know some people when they've got covid after they get covid it lingers a little bit so they're kind of in the the sort of post-covid fatigue that people yeah. get yeah i'm in post-war games fatigue Oh, I'm I'm trying to get over war games again. So it's an annual thing that you know I I, I don't feel as energetic for a few days. Feel a bit lethargic. And, uh, it's just drained you, hasn't it? You might as well have been in the match. <laughs> well, no, I, if I was in the match, I would have got quite a few naps, like everyone else did. <laughs> but uh, well, we'll get to it. But uh, yeah, I mean, war games, Survivor Series is obviously the big show we're going to be talking about on this podcast today. But before we do talk about that we should just give a mention to a couple of the quick things that happened on smackdown uh, becky lynch was unveiled as the fifth member of the babyface team um which you know the crowd were very happy with you you'd obviously you know and what else is going down if people were reading that on friday on patreon you know you had uh you talked about becky lynch being the probable fifth member uh, yes. and the crowd were pretty receptive to it yeah, of course they were. I mean, we haven't seen her since, I think, was it two nights after SummerSlam? I think it was, was that yes. last appearance? Yeah, 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 the Raw after SummerSlam. Yeah, so it felt like the right time for her to return. And, um, yeah, it went down well. Of course it was going to. Um, 
and um, yeah, I mean, she was she was needed in that match. I mean, I just dread to think what the women's SmackDown match would have been, women's War Games match would have been like, had Becky Lynch not been involved. Um, in all honesty, I think she should have entered the match earlier than she did. I think that would have been helpful. Uh, would have been beneficial to the to to the flow and the excitement and the energy of the match and our viewing pleasure as well. But yeah, great to see Becky Lynch back. And um, yeah, let's see what she does. I mean, we've got a fair idea, haven't we, from Raw that it's going to be Lynch versus Bailey. But anyway, we'll be talking about Raw possibly later in the podcast or maybe on the Power Slam podcast. Yeah, we'll see how far we get. I was I was muted there, just chatting away to myself, muted. But yeah, we'll see how far we get today. Um, yeah. we, will, we will chat about it. Um, we also should mention that the, the finals of the World Cup are set. It's going to be Santos Escobar against Ricochet because Santos Escobar beat Butch. And then almost like, you know, a, a little uh, a little um, subtle jab to Braun Strowman that he was defeated by Ricochet, even though there was help from Imperium. Yeah. Uh, the message is there, Finn. Don't bury your co-workers. Exactly. Don't do it. I mean, you're all on the same team. What's that term in government? Collective responsibility. I mean, I know <laughs> they don't always <laughs> adhere to it, but that's the theory, isn't it? You're all on the same team, then support the other members of your team. And, um, yeah, I mean, that that was a message that I think was sent loud, loud and clear to Braun. I like the way that, that they handled it, actually, in the storyline. Because in the old days, it would have been a straight burial. And then Braun would have been in catering for three months. And then, you know, we might have seen him on main event or heat or something like that. Or what was that? Was it metal or jack? Metal and jacked, wasn't it? There were the, the other weekend hell shows. But I mean, in the old days, it would have been the whole way it would have been handled would have been very different to the way WWE dealt with it on SmackDown, which I actually thought was quite a respectful way to deal with it. And it was part of the story as well. You know, remember the old days of the burials and they just come from out of nowhere and you think, why is that person suddenly losing? Yeah. And why are they losing in like 90 seconds or like two and a half minutes when three weeks ago they were winning, they were beating everyone and, and they were champion and they appeared to be on a one-way one way ticket to the one-way route to the top. But I mean, <laughs> at least in this situation with Braun and Ricochet was part of a story. There was an explanation there. And Braun was protected on the finish in the match with Ricochet. Um, this was part of the storyline with Imperium. It appears that Braun is heading towards a match with Braun Strowman. I mean, you know, I'm kind of hoping because it's the World Cup final this Friday on SmackDown, right, Kenny, between yes, yes. Ricochet and Santos Escobar. Yes. Now, after what happened on last week's SmackDown, one would assume that it's going to be Ricochet versus Gunter, right? And then Braun will be involved after somehow afterwards or... Yes save Ricochet from a beatdown leading to Gunter versus Braun. Um, so it does seem like that's the direction of travel. So, I mean, yeah, it's all part of a story. It all makes sense. And um, But, yeah, let, let it be a lesson to Braun Strowman not to criticise your co-workers. Uh, we also on SmackDown, the, the biggest thing that kind of led into the pay-per-view was the, the backstage segment where... Uh, Sami Zayn was about to go into the Bloodlines dressing room and then Kevin Owens stops him and there's this whole conversation that takes place um, 
when Jay Uso is behind the door kind of listening to what's said and Kevin Kevin Owens is basically saying, you know, turn on them before they turn on you. Um and you know, they, they go into their, their friendship and what's been going on. Um and you know, Jay obviously just hears the end. So Jay hasn't heard everything that Kevin Owens said to him. No, no, he did hear quite a lot of it because he was sticking his head out the uh, bloodline locker. Yeah, but he didn't hear the he whole caught thing. Most of it, didn't he? He caught most of it. He caught most of it, but he didn't hear every single bit of it. But he but from the bits that he did hear, he obviously surmised, well, you know, I can use this to my advantage now and we can, you know, we can, you know, get rid of Sami Zayn. And Jay yes. comes out and, and then asks Sammy, you know, have you, have you spoken to anyone since you got here? And Sammy says no. And obviously that's the big thing. He's lied to Jay. So Jay thinks that he's now got things made because he can tell Roman. And it's um, it was actually a really, really clever segment to do with the pay-per-view the following day. I thought it was very, very, very well done. Yeah, yeah, very simple. And it all made sense in terms of storyline dating back to when Kevin, you know, warned him, warned Sammy against joining the bloodline. You know, they didn't like you. They don't like you and they're never going to like you. And then Sammy was finally accepted by the bloodline. Uh, well, all of them except for Jay. Um, and here we were the night before Survivor Series War Games. Kevin Owens told Sammy Zayn that inevitably he was going to end up pissing the bloodline off, just like he pissed everyone off in his career. And it would be curtains for him when he did so. And the, the line from KO to Sammy, which Jay overheard, was, I just wouldn't wait for them to, to turn on me. If I were you, I would strike first. And then Kevin Owens just walked off. Then Jay confronted Sammy. Have you spoken to anyone? Sammy said, no, I've just arrived. And uh, he said, so you haven't spoken to anyone? And Sammy said, no, no, I just got here. And then Jay was like, all right, okay, that's fine. You can talk to me. And then Sammy goes into the bloodline locker room and Jay's like, brilliant. I've got all the evidence I need to throw this guy out of the bloodline. I never liked him. I was right all along. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic stuff uh, to lead us into the Survivor Series. Um, so let's get on to Survivor Series War Games itself. We had the opening video package, which was which had Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, he looked more like The Undertaker towards the end of his career, to be honest, with the, the guy liner and looking a bit gubbed. Um, but he was there to lip sync to War Pigs. Um, and uh, apparently they tried to get him for a live performance, um, but it wasn't. they weren't able to make it work. But I think this... You know, if you were to look at it objectively, this was better because you could produce how good it could look. Exactly. And and the problem is as well, I mean, that song, War Pigs, is a really long song. So uh, I'm not sure if Ozzy can still bring it live. I mean, maybe he can. I'm not convinced he can. Not, Probably I've, not. I've, but not I mean, I've, I've heard that he can. I've heard that it's not a, it's not a good experience. Yes, I can well believe that. So I think this was the best of both worlds. Yeah, he agreed to appear in the video, you know, and there was no pressure for him either. I mean, that's a big pressure gig, isn't it? Singing this song live and certainly mm -hmm. on a WWE pay-per-view as well before a different audience who might not be as receptive, you know, to your dodgy vocals as your longtime fans would be. So I think, yeah, I think it was a good compromise. I enjoyed the opening video. I thought it was very well produced. It's one of the greatest metal songs ever. And Paranoid is, you know, to me, the only Black Sabbath album worth worth owning 
you know, I've got a few of them and I've I've got Bayard's remorse, Kenny, on some of those albums. <laughs> I can tell you, but Paranoid was was and is an incredible album, not a single all killer, not filler, no filler. That's what that phrase was uh, dreamt up for to describe Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Um, well, we opened the show with the women's war games match, which obviously was Bianca Belair's team along with Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Mia Yim and Becky Lynch against Bailey's damage control team of Eoskai and Dakota Kai and Nikki Cross and Rhea Ripley. Um, I mean, the, you know, a lot happened. They tried to work hard, but we should mention the elephant in the room. So first of all, this, this match went just under 40 minutes. I've got it down as 39 minutes and 40 seconds. Um yeah. But there's the five-minute time where, you know, it's the first two people. And then it's people coming in every three minutes. Yes. If you tally that all up, that totals to 29 minutes before the match can get started. Um, And then you've got sort of 11 minutes almost of of action after that. Um, What did you make of the opener? Um, Give me all your thoughts. Um, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I mean, we talked about this before we started recording, and we kind of, we were con- contrasted it with the greatest war games ever, Wrestle War '92, Sting Squadron versus the Dangerous Alliance, and I don't think that match in its entirely entirety lasted twenty nine minutes. Nope. I think it was maybe about twenty two minutes or something like that. It was just all action and so exciting and so much energy and I know that was a you know different time and there's all the blood and there's all these different factors that WCW and those wrestlers had working in their favor. But this, yeah, it just dragged, didn't it? it was just, I mean, he tried and there was lots of gimmicks thrown in, like um, you know, when Nikki Cross went in, she went in third for the heels, she introduced kendo sticks and bin lids and handcuffs, you know, to try and jazz it up a bit because it just felt like it was just sort of lagging a little bit it just felt like it was just struggling to maintain any sort of or build or maintain any momentum um i mean when bailey entered she shoved two step ladders into the ring and a table into the cage rather and a table so again we need these additional props to try and you know support the match and it shouldn't be this way i mean basically what they've got to do is if they do war games again next year They've got to trim that opening segment from five minutes to three minutes. And then to me, they need to trim, you know, the gaps between entrance from three minutes to 90 seconds. And it's just going to speed the whole match up. It's going to make it far more exciting. It's going to bring us to the point where the announcement, let war games begin, is made. And that, you know, something is at stake and a pinfall or a submission can occur um, you know, we can start getting excited. Otherwise, all it is is it's just a lot of filler, isn't it, to bring us to the point where the match actually begins. Well, the other, th- the other to me, the other thing they should do straight away is there should not be two War Games matches. There should be one. And whatever the hot feud is at that time, do it. Whether it's a you know, women's feud, men's feud, whatever. But, you know, this, this feud, this uh, feud between Damage Control and uh, Bianca was nowhere near hot enough for a War Games match. And you've no. been, I actually partially blame you for this because you wanted me to watch Wrestle War 92, right? That was your idea. And I watched it, and that War Games match is so good 
that it soured me on this because I was comparing it to the glory of Sting's squadron in the Dangerous Alliance. Yeah. And this was just nowhere near. And it's, you know, because it's a, it's, a, it's a bunch of women who are in teams and, you know, the damage control is really the only proper faction. They've lost every pretty much every match apart from the, the, the tag title win since they've been back. So to me, it's like at least the main event, the bloodline and the, the, the brawling brutes, Sheamus, Drew and Kale, that had a story. There yeah. was a, you know, everybody had been wronged by that group. So they were all going after them. There's a story there. What's the story with the women's one? Why did why did this necessitate a 40-minute uh, War Games match? And I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, oh, you know, the NXT ones. The NXT ones were just as bad. They oh, yeah. were the catalyst for this. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, they were, they were really long. I mean, these matches are probably about 12, 13, maybe 15 minutes longer than they should be. Yeah, and um, there's just so much standing around and waiting around and killing time until we reach that point where the match can end and we can start having near falls and kickouts and saves that build the drama. And shouldn't the whole shouldn't the whole point of a war games match be that the the time period of the first two and then when everybody comes in, all the punishment and abuse that everyone's taken means that by the time the match is ready to start. It's not going to go long because everyone's been taking all this punishment. Exactly. The psychologically, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, but this match felt like they all just kind of battered each other, and then at twenty nine minutes, the bell rang and they start started a fresh match. Yeah, oh, and that just doesn't That's make any it, sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, Rhea Ripley was the last woman in from the heel team, and then Becky Lynch was. The final member of the babyface team. I feel, as I said, I feel like she should have gone into the match earlier. And it was like, right, let's leave her to last. And she'll be like the Becky Lynch pick me up. You know, she's going to be like this massive dose of caffeine or whatever you want to call it. You know, at the end, she's going to just inject all this sort of life and energy to the match. And she did to an extent. But by that point, I think we were all so weary because the match had lasted so long and all this pay-per-view time essentially had been wasted leading to this point where the match actually begins it was hard to get excited about it i mean i think the ending was okay um you know i mean there was you know, i mean there was a few there were some really good spots in there like your sky for instance did this crazy moonsault off the cage didn't she i mean that just was well, absolutely absolutely mad yeah um you know ria broke some ladders in the corner when she hurled herself and Mia Yim onto them. I thought that looked pretty good. Um, Lynch manhandle slammed uh, Dakota Kai. And then in the end, Lynch leg dropped um, she Kai and Sky. She placed on the table and then she went to the top of the cage and executed a leg drop off the cage onto Sky and Kai. And then she pinned Kai for the win. So, I mean, there was an issue here in that Lynch had supposedly been sidelined by damage control. So she was returning for retribution, which she exacted. So there was a story there. But I think they, sh they sh probably should have brought Lynch back a week earlier than they did. So they could have really, you know, drummed that home. They could have really reminded us of what had happened, done more promos, maybe put some video packages together. And Lynch could have talked about how much pain she'd been in and all this time that she'd missed from the ring and how she was so angry about it and she was seeking revenge and blah, blah, blah. I think there was more they could have done 
to make this match seem to, to just make this match make the purpose for this match greater make us make us more inclined to watch it and to be rooting for Becky Lynch to you know seek retribution against damage control who had sidelined us since two nights after SummerSlam so yeah I think they could have done a lot more to make this match mean more yeah, and but because by the time it was finished, it was like it just because I mean you know we'll get to the main event later, but the main event had this kind of great ten minutes of story stuff that almost made the rest of it worth it to, yeah. to get through it. But this was just like you know there was some good spots in it, but I mean you know there's been the stories in in, in the news, and it kind of feels like it's true that this match was basically there for a highlight reel, so they've got stuff to show for future war games matches. And um, and that's fine, but I mean, forty minutes is a long time. If I'm not willing to sit through Okada and Omega for forty minutes, then I don't, I don't really want to sit through, you know, a war games match that it takes thirty minutes to get into. So, um, they worked hard, but I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that there would, that there would be any reason that either of us, Finn, would ever watch this match again. No, there's just no way you would, because, because, and also, you know, the whole. Bailey and Bianca Belair feud peaked in Extreme Rules, maybe even Clash of the Castle. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure when it peaked, but it certainly didn't peak at War Games. I mean, it's been on the downside. It's been on the, you know, it's been on the escalator downwards for a long time. So it just didn't really feel like there was a whole lot of enthusiasm to see those two clash again. Mm -hmm. um, and there was nothing at stake anyway, really. What did it matter who won? I mean, what were damage control, you know, Nikki Cross and Rhea Ripley? Why were, why were they so hell-bent on winning the match? I mean, we understand after I've just explained it, why Lynch wanted to win because she was, she had been sidelined by damage control, but there wasn't really anything else at, at stake in the match, was there? Nope, there was not. Um, yeah, it was, so, you know, it, it's an opener that I just don't think we'll ever watch again and, uh, I, mean, I think if you like war games matches, like if you're just able to suspend your disbelief with it, then it works for you. But I don't know, for me, for me, it just was a bit of a dud. Um, yeah. We say this every time we review a war games match, Kenny, we say the same thing about it because the yep. same thing happens. They don't alter it. Yeah. I mean, Triple H on the long. It's just too long. Triple H on the post show press conference said, he thinks Hell in a Cell should be the end to a feud because that's what it, that's what it's most effective. And he said, you know, it doesn't really work for elimination chambers or money in the banks because why would somebody challenge someone to an elimination chamber or a money in the bank? That all makes loads of sense to me. But to me, war games should fall under that Hell in a Cell bracket, and it should be when a feud is needs one, not you know, because I would get just two of them. It's an hour and a half for the two matches, and they do very similar stuff in both the matches. Yeah, sure they do. So, sure. I mean, this is how it ended up in WCW. I mean, you know, the war games in night two, Wrestle War in May night two was amazing. And then we had a war games at fall, I think it was fall brawl 93. And that was dreadful. And they had another one at fall brawl, I think the following year. I think Hogan was in that one and that was even worse. And, um, and I think it did improve after that, the war game. So I remember when WCW used the used it as, you know, a theme for a pay-per-view, 
they were in a similar boat where they were having to find people to go in the match. And it was like, right, well, we've got to have something ready for this match. And it gently, you know, it wasn't necessarily the right feud or the right people for that match concept, you know, especially coming off the highs that WCW reached with Dangerous Alliance versus Sting Squadron at Wrestle 192. I mean, they could never reach that level again. So, um, yeah, I think WWE, we've gone over it. I don't need to repeat myself again. Yeah, let's just move on. We know what WWE needs to do next year if it's going to run war games again. I've stated that, you stated that, and hopefully they'll follow our advice, Kenny. Fingers crossed. Well, listen, what we'll do is we'll talk about the the bloodline stuff right before the main event. We'll just tie it all in together to one big conversation so we're not having it three times. Um, Up next, we had Finn Balor against AJ Styles. They went uh, just over 18 minutes with AJ Styles getting the win in the end. Um, obviously they had that you know really lauded match at TLC in 2017 that was put together last minute. How did they do here in a big pay per view sequel? I mean, they they, they obviously were both incredibly talented and um, they really went for it. I think AJ, we've talked about this on a number of podcasts. I mean, he's had a rough year in terms of um, scoring wins. I mean, I read I'm sure I read a statistic uh, somewhere that was AJ's first win on premium live event in something like 16 months or something like that did you read that star i've not but i can i i can fully believe it i mean uh, i'll actually I'll, I'll do a wee bit of digging there while we're talking yeah it was his first win on pay, on premium live event in a very long time and it just feels like you know aj has kind of just lost his way and he's still very talented but he just cooled down as a character and they've you know brought cal anderson and luke gallows in and I think they have helped. I think me, um, I think me, Yimaz also. I think she actually had a really good night on Raw last night. We'll talk about that either later in this podcast or Palestine podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't really until last few minutes, Kenny, that this match really came alive for me. It felt pretty flat. And I think part of the problem was that the audience had just sat through a near 40 minute War Games match. Mm-hmm. This is the other drawback to matches which are overkill is that they burn the audience out. This is what happens on AEW pay-per-views because they do too much in nearly every match. And then the audience is fatigued and they lose their enthusiasm as the match matches and the show progresses. So I think, yeah, they were just in a position here where, you know, in a difficult spot because fans had seen the women in the war games for so long. But I think, yeah, last few minutes, it really did come alive. Um, I mean, certainly after uh, AJ hit the reverse DDT, uh, Styles avoided the coup de grace, applied the calf crusher. The audience was, you know, really into it at this point. And then Styles won with a flying forearm. So I was really pleased to see Styles score a pin here. I think he desperately needed a win. Had he lost this match, I think it would have been, you know, I think it would have been a real set back for the OC, who, as I've said, have not, you know, covered themselves in glory recently. Had a bit of a rough time of it. So Styles needed the win. He he scored the win. And, um, yeah, yeah, ended well. But um, as I've said, you know, they were hampered by what had taken place before they entered the ring. Well, I've got two stats for you. So AJ Styles' last win on pay-per-view was 
2021 in the Money in the Bank match last summer when he and Omas won the tag team titles. But if you wanted to go back and find his last singles win on a pay-per-view or premium live event, the last time he won was uh, three years ago um, in 2019 (laughs) when he defeated Umberto Carrillo at Crown Jewel. Wow. So that is the last time where he got a singles win. So over three years it's been, and that really tells you uh, where he's at, you know? Yeah, Yeah, um, he really needed this win. Yeah, so so AJ wins that one. Then we had Ronda. What did you think of it, Kenny? Uh, I thought they worked hard. I really like Finn Balor as a character, but I, I honestly just think it's time for AJ Styles to hang the boots up. It's time to go. It's not he's he's to me for me he's starting to approach Dolph Ziggler territory. I think he's just it's nothing's working, you know nothing's uh, nothing's clicking with him. Do you and, think he's just been there too long? Yeah, I think he's been there too long, and I think the other thing that they've done that's actually going to hurt him more than help him is by bringing in Gallows and Anderson and doing the whole the OC thing. Like if they were ever going to capitalize on the Bullet Club type stuff, it needed to be five years ago, with all of them because that was when the Bullet Club were really hot and it was very relevant. But now, it's 2022. You know, it'd be like Matt Hardy being broken still in the mid-card. I mean, he is broken in the mid-card for different reasons. But, you know... um, He's not even in the mid-card, is he? No, he's he's on dark or whatever. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, if he had had kept kind of the, the broken character and it had kind of just been, like, around... For like five years, like that's kind of where it feels that we are with AJ and, and the OC. So, yeah, and you know, I saw someone say, uh, someone said to me, "Oh, you know, maybe AJ should be in the title picture." It's like there's nothing he has done gives me confidence that him in the title picture would, would be exciting. You know, I think he's, I just don't think he's got the, uh, the, the 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 sort of like, what's the word, the gum, the the enthusiasm anymore. I think yeah, it's just, you know, he just doesn't. He doesn't really exude. You know that dynamic energy, does he? You know and that yeah. gusto and that drive and that determination. He so I wouldn't say he's a spent force, but he's heading in that direction. He could learn and, a lot. He could he could learn a lot from Seth Rollins actually, because Seth Rollins has been in WWE for ten years this year on the main roster. His ten year anniversary was earlier this month. Survivor Series. Survivor Series, yeah, so like a decade, and he is very relevant right now because he put so much work into his character. He, I mean, the fact that he's so relevant this year after three pay-per-view losses to Cody Rhodes it really shows you how impressive it is. And then you look at AJ and you're like, you've only been here for six years and you feel that you've been here way longer than Seth does. Well, near seven, isn't it? Seven years in January. Yeah, okay, so seven in January. But, you know, it's... And, and I think I think it's just coming down to the fact that AJ's not... He's not really doing any character stuff. No, anymore. no, he's not. So anyway, up next we've got Ronda Rousey and Shotzi for the SmackDown Women's title. Oh my lord! I mean, this this was this. I mean, and then to find out today that Ronda Rousey asked for a favor and asked for Brian Kendrick to come in and produce this match was 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 quite the the revelation. Um, I mean, if 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 he was brought in for this match, then I don't think that's a ringing endorsement of Brian Kendrick's abilities. Well, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, we talked a lot about what should have happened here, 
And it yeah. should have been a very brief match and a squash for Ronda over Shotzi. I mentioned this last week and possibly the week before and certainly wrote about it in my last column. Um, and I thought this should have been the night on which Charlotte Flair returned. I think this would have been perfect if Charlotte Flair had returned here um, and she could have done the feud with Ronda. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, at this point, Charlotte probably isn't going to return until Royal Rumble. I mean, is there any real point to bringing her back before then now? Well, there's no, there's, this is the first, this is going to be the first time there's no pay per view in December. There's no big yeah. show in December. So the next show is the Rumble. So, I mean, until the new year when they're building to that, I can't really see her coming back. No, neither can I. I mean, it's normally things do slow down a bit in December, certainly over the Christmas period. There's no day one event either this year. So, um, yeah, I would think that Charlotte will be returning at Royal Rumble. Um, I mean, I actually expected the match to be worse, if I'm honest with you. I mean, it lasted, I think, over seven minutes. And um, I didn't watch the show until Monday. And I read a lot of commentary online about how dreadful this match was. And um, I actually thought it was it was nowhere near as bad as people described it. Um, I mean, there was only one really, really horrific spot. And that was when uh, Shotzi tried this bizarre high-risk DDT over the ropes onto the apron. And why... Anyone would entrust a spot like that to Shotzi is beyond me because the chances of her, I mean, what was it? One in one in 50 chance of executing that one well. That Maybe should be quite generous there, fun. I mean, I mean, some of it was okay. I actually thought that it was quite well laid out in terms of it wasn't rushed. There was quite a lot, like Shayna was involved, so there was distraction spots, so they didn't have to do as much. It wasn't just those two. At one point, they went into the over the barrier, and Shotzi did a crossbody off the barrier onto Ronda and Shayna, and they crashed into some plants who were sat on chairs, and the chairs were sort of rigged to collapse backwards, so that filled up some time without you know anyone suffering a serious injury or botching too badly. Um, yeah, I mean, the ending kind of was a bit, it was a bit naff looking. Rousey won after the Piper's Pit and then applied the armbar for the submission win. So, I mean, there was no one believed that Shotzi was going to win. Uh, no one. I mean, what was the point of this match? I have no idea. And, um, you know, there was like a fire, fire Ronda Rousey hashtag going on Twitter for about two days. So, um, yeah, I mean, this women's division, it just needs, you know, it just needs, a, you know, it needs like an intervention. You know, it just needs an ambulance. You know what I mean? It just needs, it needs massive amounts of assistance. You know, it needs, something just needs to happen. And uh, it doesn't look like Ronda's going to lose the belt until Charlotte Flair returns. And she might not even lose the belt until WrestleMania. Presumably, that's when her match with Becky Lynch or rematch with Becky Lynch will take place. Mm-hmm. If it's going to happen, and I would imagine that Ronda will then leave after WrestleMania. But by the sound of things, the mood among many fans is they just wish that she would leave now. I mean, but the, the other the other problem is yes, she is part of the the issue. But I mean, the other issue is they've not got a, a deep roster that's able to, able to work with. You know, like say for example. Say, uh, n- name name an inexperienced woman in AEW. Just any inexperienced woman who WWE, you think WWE might want to sign at some point. 
I, I can't think of anyone. Wait, let's say Jade Cargill, right? Let's say WWE saw... Jade you Cargill? Know, are you kidding? But let, but you let me use the example, right? So let's say they want to, they want to sign Jade Cargill, for example. Why would they? She's a troll. She's the worst wrestler in the business. She's a disaster area. Terrible. Is, but but let, me, let me make the point. So the point is, if they decided they wanted to hire somebody inexperienced like Jade Cargill, right? Because yeah. they somehow see something in it, right? Personality-wise, charisma-wise, whatever, right? When, if, that, if Jade Cargill was to go and work in NXT for six months or whatever, and then she was to be put in the main roster, they don't have a main roster of women who can lead wrestling matches with anybody, whether it's a Ronda Rousey or a Jade Cargill, and that's a problem. You need you should have on your roster a bunch of wrestlers who can lead matches and who can help inexperienced people get better. But when you've got if Ronda Rousey, who is who is inexperienced, because she's only done it probably full time for about a year, when she's put in there with Shotzi, who has been wrestling for six years, and Shotzi, you know, couldn't, you know, lead a fat person to a crispy cream, like it's it is the, the, the problem's there. And it's the Liv Morgan was the same thing. She can't lead a match. Neither no. can Shotzi, neither can Tamina, neither can. And so they got all these women on the roster who can't lead a wrestling match. And if that's if that's there, there's a big problem for when they start bringing people up who need people who are more experienced to help them. Uh, what's the word? Acclimatize themselves to the WWE system and the main roster. That's the thing they need to fix. I think. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine, I mean, Sasha Banks, again, why would she return before Royal Rumble, before WrestleMania season? I'm not sure if she's going to return, but if she doesn't return in January, then she's probably not going to. Um, But you're right. I mean, they've got a lot of people in NXT um, who they could call up. I mean, there's like Alba Fire, for one. I mean, Mandy Rose is obviously made huge strides as NXT Women's Champion. The Toxic Attraction are a really good act. Um, I thought JC and Gigi Dolan did fairly well in their limited, you know, forays onto the main roster. So there are a lot of people in NXT who are waiting in the ring wings who could be brought up. But as we discussed a few weeks ago, um, I think it was actually the week that Shotzi won the um, six-pack match to become the number one contender to receive this match with Ronda at Survivor Series. There was no one in that match. Actually, was Raquel Gonzalez, uh, Raquel Rodriguez in that match? She was, yeah. She was, right. Okay, well, she's now genuinely injured, I believe. Is she? Oh, oh is that a storyline? It may just be a storyline, I think. I think it's no, a storyline. I've, I've not heard anything she's actually injured. All right, okay, right. So, well, she, well the th- what's weird is if it's a storyline injury... That's an injury that in the storyline is going to take her a long time to recover from. Isn't it? Yeah, no, I'm I'm just trying to find it in case I've missed something. Rodriguez. Um, But I mean, even, you know, Raquel's another example where she, uh, oh no, she is injured, you're right. I thought she was. She's going to be out for four to six weeks. Oh, right. Well, that's not not as long as I feared. She, um, so she... She suffered a broken arm and dislocated elbow and aggravated the injury during the tag match. So she, um, she yeah, she gave it four to six weeks. But even look at her. She came on to SmackDown. What was the first thing they did? They had Ronda Rousey beat her in like a very in fairly easy fashion. And now Raquel Rodriguez walks, walks around with this big easy grin in her face the whole time. Yeah. Like, she's just really happy to be there. And to your point, you know, you mentioned all these people in NXT who absolutely do have 
potential to come up, but who are they going to work with when they come up? Well, I mean, I just, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. They need to just be ruthless and have a clear out yeah, because there's a lot of people there who are, you know, not productive and never going to get over. They've either outstayed the welcome or are never going to be players who can really make a difference. And I'm sorry, but they need to be replaced by people who can. Yeah, 100%. Otherwise, we're going to be in the same situation here where we're going to have matches like Shotzi versus Ronda Rousey on a premium live event that please no one. So, I mean, really need to get into a rebuilding phase of just bringing quite a few people up, um, giving them the TV time. If they're ready, and I think quite a few people in NXT are, they can start again and they can get somewhere. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think things will improve in January, but I think between now and the end of the year, I think we're going to be singing the same old song about the women's division on SmackDown, Kenny. Yeah, I mean, one thing they could, one thing they, they should do is, you know, get get Dewdrop over to SmackDown, call her Piper Nevin again or whatever, or call her Viper. You know, she's she's decent in the ring to the point where she can actually have a match with somebody and it might not fall apart completely. So, you know, use her as someone who can just be there to have some matches with people. Um, maybe not Ronda, but maybe Ronda. Maybe, maybe, maybe you do something with, you know, her size and how Ronda's got to try and overcome that like at least it'd be something to to, to yeah 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 i would endorse that i mean and she's somebody who can tell ronda what to do i mean ronda's just abdicated all responsibility for her matches hasn't she i mean i don't know what's happened i I was talking to um, a wrestler or a couple of wrestlers actually at the weekend about ronda and i asked them because i was quite curious i was like what do you think why is she nowhere near what she was before and they both said that, that they think that the first time around she had a point to prove and now she's just complacent and everybody just tells her she's good and she and nobody would dare to tell her that she's bad because she's a because in their mind she's a star. Um and then now you know so now she's just kind of around but um you know I mean because even like Shayna Baszler if her and Shayna I mean I know they're kind of in a team right now but it would almost be more interesting if they were against each other because at least they might actually want to have a good match with each other. They might that may well Ronda Rousey to have some enthusiasm for him. Yeah, I mean, possibly. But, I mean, Shane is somebody who had high hopes for her and she's never delivered really ever on the main roster. Nope. I mean, she did have some pretty good matches in NXT, but I don't think she, when she migrated to the main roster, I mean, I know the whole Elimination Chamber thing and the original Becky Lynch match. I mean, they kind of chalked up as a failure right after Elimination Chamber, hadn't they? Because the audience didn't really respond to her as if she were a superstar. And the Lynch match, you know, didn't sizzle. So there hasn't been a huge amount of enthusiasm for her from the creative team since then. And that's going back to, what, 20... When was that? 2020 with that 20, 2020 yeah February 2020 she had the, the chamber and then she was in the Wrestlemania match with Becky uh, at the COVID mania yeah 2020 so here we are like two and a half years on and uh, I think if she was going to show us anything we would have seen it by now but you are right I mean it's possible that Shayna versus Ronda um, may you know may inspire Ronda to find some of that you know rediscover some of that old 
enthusiasm for pro wrestling, but she just comes across as so apathetic. It's just, you know, rather sad to watch, isn't it? As um, let's let's move on. Let's move on to the next match. We had the triple threat match with Seth Rollins, Bobby Lashley, and Austin Theory, where Austin Theory picked up the win in a pretty creative finish, where uh, Seth was going for the the Falcon Arrow on Theory. Lashley speared Rollins, and Theory fell on top of Rollins to get the decent. Um, I mean, a lot of people were praising this match, giving it a lot of hype, and calling it maybe the match of the night. What did you think of it? Yeah, I thought it was really good. I think you know part of the reason people were people were just so animated about it was because. It was it was like polar opposite to the match that you know preceded it. You know, Shotzi versus Ronda Rousey. So people, I think, were hungry for some action by this point. And um, Rollins as US champion and Lashley and Austin Theory, I think, really did come through for them. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I thought I thought it was really good. I, I really I thought there was some really creative and inventive spots in the match. I mean, I thought the finish was tremendous. You know, as um, you know, as Rollins had Theory in midair, Lashley slammed into Rollins with a spear, and then Theory fell on top of Rollins for the pin and the US title. And I had predicted that Austin Theory was going to win the US Championship here, Kenny. So I was very pleased about that as well. It's nice to be right; doesn't happen very often, but it did happen here. <laughs> After all your Bailey stuff, you deserved a you deserved a win. You deserved yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, some really good stuff here. I thought, I thought they, they, everyone was protected. I thought everyone shone in this match. Everyone had his moment in which he looked like a star, you know. And there were, even though you know, Theory won and he left as the new champ. I think everyone in this match was a winner in terms of performance and in terms of impressing the audience. I mean, Lashley looked really strong in like the opening portion. And, you know, Theory came back with like a ring, ring steps attack and then Rollins dominated Theory and then Lashley and brought the fans to their feet with a like this amazing somersault dive. Um, Michael Cole and Corey Graves on commentary uh, were saying that Rollins was a proud champion. So at that point, we, we sort of got the message that, yes, yeah, Seth Rollins really is a baby face. You know, even though he, he acted kind of obnoxious in that interview, whenever it was on last week's Raw, the week before, he actually is a babyface and was supposed to cheer him. Um, you know, Lashley kicked out of Rollins' pedigree and Theory reversed the Hurt Lock. And yeah, I mean, I thought there was, yeah, I mean, um, you know, Rollins just leapt off the top rope with a splash onto Lashley for like a two count. That looked amazing. And some great spots and the timing and everything. You know, Rollins is the man leading these matches because he's so good. I mean, Rollins is top five in the world for sure. And when he, even though he leads the matches, you never see him calling spots. He's so good at it. He's sort of doing it via instinct, you yeah. know, through these sort of, I don't know, I don't know how some of these wrestlers do it, where you never hear them or see them calling the spots, but they somehow find a way of communicating to their opponents what they're going to do next. And if you think at the the speed and the complexity of this match and how they were able to pull, how they were able to pull everything off almost perfectly. Yeah, I thought it was a hell of an achievement. Uh, well, listen, throughout the night, we did have the the build-up to the main event with, uh, you know, Roman Reigns talking to Jay Uso and Jay kind of saying, you know, we need to get rid of Sammy. Roman says, you know, bring Sammy to me. I'll, I'll look in his eyes and I'll know if he's lying to me. And then we get that segment where, you know, Roman Roman asks him, you know, did you see anybody on, on Friday? And he was like, you know, yes, I saw Kevin Owens, but, I'd, uh, you know, I'd, 
I, I didn't want to tell Jay and Roman's kind of getting all, trying to get all these answers out of him. And Sami Zayn's explaining himself, saying, you know, I just didn't want to add to Jay's pressure because he had the tag match. Um, and he, he looks uh, Sammy in the eyes and Sammy says that he's with the bloodline. And uh, Roman hugs him, but, but behind his back, he's not too sure. So what did you make of these segments to kind of uh, add some more drama to the main event? I've got to say, whenever anyone on WWE TV hugs someone else and then they're going for a close-up of the eyes, I'm just reminded of that of that first Steve Austin hug with Vince McMahon in 2001. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> people say that Austin's heel turn was a bad idea. My God, for that moment alone, it was a good idea. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, I re- yeah, it was. I thought Sammy's explanation because Jay went to Reigns and explained what happened, and then Sammy said, "Well, I, I didn't go to Kevin. It was Kevin who came to speak to me. I didn't initiate the conversation, which was true." And then he explained to Roman um, why he didn't divulge the conversation to Jay because they had the match on SmackDown for you know the advantage was at stake in in that match. So that was all plausible as well. And, you know, Reigns accepted his explanation, but gave him that hug and was communicating through his eyes, you know, does can he trust him or not? And that's what they always used to say, didn't they, Kenny, in the old Hollywood, you know, the real actors, it's all there in the eyes. That's why, you know, it was Gar- Gary Cooper movies. You'd always have the close-up of the eyes. It's all in the eyes. <laughs> have you ever seen the movie High Noon, Kenny? I haven't. I haven't. I've seen. Well, I, I don't know whether I would really recommend the movie to you. But I mean, there's lots of those scenes with Gary Cooper where it's all in the eyes. But uh, yeah, anyway. So yeah, Reigns. Reigns is there, and so kind of, what's going to happen in the War Games? Is Sammy going to side with Kevin, or is he going to sign with the Bloodline? And in the end, we know what happened, don't we, Kenny? We the do. story continued. I mean, I would have been so disappointed had it gone the other way and had Sammy you know, reunited with Kevin or split from the bloodline. I mean, that would be talk about premature. That needs to be months down the line. We're yeah, nowhere yeah. near that point yet. And once we, because once we got to, because the final people in the, in the ma- in the War Games match, which you mentioned were Sheamus and Roman Reigns for their teams. And then once everybody was in, the difference between this and the first match was everything just kind of kicked into really high gear. Yeah. When everybody was in there. Um, and obviously it came down to what Sami Zayn was going to do. And, you know... Kevin... Uh, and also, Kenny, during the match, we had some other moments, didn't we, where, like, Sami saved Jay from Ridge, and there was all these little moments, all these little plot uh, developments. Oh, you know, the and story there's, there's the was Because Kevin Owens actually does the stunner on Roman Reigns and has him beat, and Sami Zayn stops the referee's hand from going down for a three-count. But what was so clever about that was he didn't hurt Owens... So in the story, Reigns is still hesitant that he's on their side. Yeah. Because he could still be playing them. And it all comes down, you know, Owens is kind of shouting, you know, is this your, that's your family? And um, of course, Sami Zayn has to hit Owens with a low blow to show that he's with the bloodline. But he's also showing a bit of remorse that he has to do it because he doesn't want to do it. But he has to prove to the bloodline how much uh, they mean to him. So he does the halluva kick on Owens. And then Jay goes up and does the top rope splash and wins the match for the bloodline. So they're all together. But Roman is definitely keeping an eye on Sami Zayn. But uh, what, what a great, great story they're telling here. And they made... They, I would give this War Games match a thumbs up purely for the story stuff alone. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. As And as I said, during the match, before we have, you know, all 10 men are in the ring and war games begins and it can actually end and, you know, we can have some drama because people are going for pins or going for submissions and then saves, kickouts, whatever occur. You know, we had uh, Sammy save Jay from like Ridge and he was helping out members of the bloodline. So it did appear that they could trust Sammy. But it wasn't until that moment when he stopped the count um, as Kevin Owens pinned Roman Reigns. And visibly, it looked like Kevin had the match won. Visibly, it didn't look like Roman was going to kick out, which, of course, was the whole point of it. And that was the message that he was supposed to communicate and did so very successfully. So Zayn stopped the count. But then it was the low blow, wasn't it? And that was when fans booed Sammy because he had attacked his longtime best friend. He said on commentary that Kevin Owens had been the best man at Sami Zayn's wedding. So we have that as well. We know about the relationship between them. Um, then he hit the halluva kick, as you said. Kevin Owens fell to the mat, and then Jay hit the top rope splash for the pin. And then afterwards, Sammy hugged Reigns, and then Jay and Sammy hugged. So it appears that the bloodline is united. Jimmy said on Raw two nights later, for the first time ever, there are no cracks in the bloodline. We are united. We are solid. So, yeah, it was it was really, you know, storytelling at its finest. And it was widely praised, wasn't it, the match, Kenny, for the story that it told here and the way it was executed. I mean, it couldn't have been done better, really. I mean, the only downside to this match was that... <laughs> Most of the babyface team, uh, with the exception of Kevin Owens, looked like extras. They looked like bit players, didn't they? Yeah. Drew relevant to, in the overall scheme of things. Yeah, Drew and Sheamus going into this felt that they had a bit of fire to them and it didn't really uh it didn't really happen for them in the match. So hopefully there'll be something for them this Friday on SmackDown coming out of it. Um and I think it, we'll we'll cover Raw on Thursday. Where obviously there's there's more stuff that happens in the kind of Sami Zayn bloodline saga, um. So we will watch that then. But over overall, I mean, to me, Survivor Series was a kind of I'd have to give it like a thumbs in the middle as a show because even though the Zayn and bloodline stuff was so good, there was just a lot of other stuff on it that just felt like a slog to get through. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, um, I mean, the good thing about it was it only lasted, was it three hours, 14, 15 minutes? So it wasn't a really long show. Um, there was only five matches on it. So you didn't feel like bloated and like you were suffering from overindulgence when it ended. So, I mean, it did have that going for it. But I, I definitely feel like WWE needs to, you know, have a post-mortem here. Survivor Series Wargrims you know, a review and just say, how can we make this better next year? And I just think we've put forward some really good suggestions that are going to be beneficial for the company, all the performers, and certainly our entertainment value. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd I mean, I'd like to see War Games return next year, uh, but only one match. And let's just make sure that they have the story and the players and everything all ready to go. So it feels like a War Games match is necessary to settle whatever grudges are at stake. 
Indeed. Well, listen, that's all the time we've got for today. We hope that you will join us on Thursday on Patreon for Power Slam or Friday on the main feed. We'll be covering Raw and all the wrestling news, um, including MJF's first appearance, which will be happening on Wednesday night. So we'll give that a mention on Thursday. Um, I'm sure I'm sure AEW, after that rating last week, two weeks under 900,000 viewers, they're oh, going to be hoping that MGF is going to bring some of those viewers back. Yes, yeah, hope they're, they're hoping he's going to be able to bring some people in on Wednesday or tomorrow. But uh, yeah, we will be here to talk about it. So I uh, want to thank you for all your support, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.